Welcome to Leading Edge. I'm Tim Miller in for Jerry Anderson this week. If you've been around the TV anytime recently, you know we have an election coming up. All of those political ads trying to win your vote. Well, that's because the general election is coming up on November 8th. And here to make heads or tails of it and kind of see where things are right now, one of our political experts, Dr. Sam Nelson, Associate Professor of Political Science for the University of Toledo. Sam, thanks so much for being here on Leading Edge. I have a feeling I know what the most interesting race is for you coming up on November 8th. Well, I think the Senate race is the one that's uh, most interesting. Uh, it's very close. Uh, you've got high profile candidates. It's getting a lot of national attention, a lot of national money, especially on the Republican side. So it's it's probably the one that has the biggest ramifications nationally. And we just had a debate in Cleveland, the first debate, and I think the only debate between Tim Ryan and the political newcomer, really, J.D. Vance, J.D. Vance, the Republican, Tim Ryan, the Democrat. How do you think those two candidates did? I don't know how much you got to see of that debate, but it was really the first chance for the viewers to the voters to know where they stand. Right. I mean, um, you know, the debates let kind of everybody look at both candidates, whereas mostly people have seen the candidates one at a time. If you're a Republican, you maybe went to a J.D. Vance rally. If you're a Democrat, maybe you went to a Tim Ryan rally. Um but seeing them head to head gives you some measure, I think, of what kind of candidates they are, how they handle themselves uh, in a kind of pressure packed situation. Did you think it got contentious at points that the parts that I did see and maybe was a little little lackluster from ones we've seen before, but at times they did go after each other because they would like to see some separation? Yeah, I mean, it was a fairly polite debate. It was certainly nothing like watching uh, Trump and Hillary Clinton, right? right. Um, it was, it, you know, it was a pretty normal debate in terms of tone, but there are strong differences between the candidates. And when you have one candidate who's experienced and another who's a newbie, um, you know, there's going to be some some friction there, some things to point out. Um, I think that Ryan had a couple of points that he really wanted to make, you know, things that kind of constituted what the kids call a sick burn. Uh, and, you know, Vance wanted to highlight his good issues uh, where he could. And we have seen uh, a lot of those ads. It looks like Tim Ryan, who has the more political uh, experience here, it looks like he is he the more more of an aggressor in these ads. You see the one from throwing the football against the TV monitor saying, I'm not this candidate. And then at the end, he throws in and hits the one and breaks the monitor that has his opponent JD Vance in it. Well, I think he's I think he's got a, a range of ads, right? Um, some of them are are more aggressive, like you're talking about. Some have highlighted his family and and other things like that. So he's trying to hit a couple of different points. Um, and he's paying for most of his own advertising. These are really candidate ads produced by the campaign. Uh, whereas the J.D. Vance ads are mostly being paid for by national Republican groups, uh, not the campaign directly. Uh, and so he's got somewhat less control over what those ads look like and what they highlight. And J.D. Vance, obviously, he has the advantage, perhaps, when it comes to President Trump won collectively. The former president, of course, he didn't win the election, but he did win Ohio handily this last time again. Uh, is this a tough road for Tim Ryan? And what do you think? Does he have a chance to, to beat J.D. Vance? 
Well, the polling certainly shows it uh, pretty much a dead heat right now. It shows it very close, which is, I think, a surprise. I don't think that national Democratic groups expected it to be a competitive race. Um, I think that the Republican primary uh, created an opportunity for Tim Ryan that maybe there wasn't uh, before. Um, but, you know, the overall uh, environment is still tough uh, for Democratic candidates. Sherrod Brown can win statewide races in Ohio as a Democrat but nobody else has really been able to do that recently. And so there's a lot of headwind there uh, for Tim Ryan. And it's going to turn turn on who turns out on Election Day, I think, or in early voting over the next several weeks. Um, and uh, not so much where the polls are right now. Now, certainly the race to watch. We have another one, though. Ninth District U.S. Congress, House of Representatives, Marcy Kaptur, running for yet another term. Uh, representing Toledo as a Democrat, going up against J.R. Majewski. Now, this is a district that maybe has a little bit more red in it, which is more of a challenge for Marcy Kaptur. Do you think she has reason to be concerned? This is probably the toughest fight that she's had in a long time because, um, you know, Republic, statewide Republicans drew this district on purpose to try to take her out. Um, they blatantly ignored Supreme Court st state Supreme Court rulings, saying that the uh, districting process hadn't followed the state constitution with one goal in mind, right? To make this a competitive race uh, and maybe spell the end of Marcy Kaptur's career. Um, that said, she's won some tough races in the past. They've tried to get her before. Um, Majewski's had some problems, um, you know, recently um, in terms of uh, attention on his military service record and things like that. So, and there's no real polling on this race. So it's it's tough. It's a 52% Republican district, uh, the way it's drawn based on the presidential results in 2020. That's an advantage for Majewski. Uh, but um, there are a lot of other intangibles. Right. The Republican challenger, J.R. Majewski, and, and his military record has really become uh, one of the focal points of this campaign, if not the focal point in this race, with mm -hmm. uh, a lot of reporting being done that he oversell, oversold his military record, that he never did actually set foot in Afghanistan. Uh, does that hurt him in this race? Or if you're for him, you're for him. If you're against him, you're against him. Well, it really undercuts one of his prime biographical arguments for why he should win the election, right? His campaign signs all say, you know, veteran. Uh, so he put that at the center of his campaign. And now there are all these questions uh, and criticisms. If he hadn't centered that in the campaign, I don't know if anybody would have cared uh, about details of of his service in this way. And for there's a, there's a group of voters that, that it's going to matter, uh, I think. Is it a large group? I don't know. I think right now in races across the country, we see scandals and these kinds of questions not having a big effect on vote choice uh, by voters. They're kind of overlooking. I mean, look at Herschel Walker in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Is it is it hurting him, the the scandals around um, that, that he's been facing? It doesn't seem like it. Those are much bigger than J.R. Majewski's problem here, right? Much, much bigger. But um, voters don't seem to care in the way they once did about those things. And Dr. Sam Nelson, before we go here, Sam, talk about the governor's race. You have Nan Whaley, the Democrat, the former mayor of Dayton, really a tough battle, an uphill climb against a, an incumbent popular Mike DeWine. Do you see Nan Whaley having a chance in this race or do you think this is one where we might see some distance? I, I think we're going to see uh, some distance here. I mean, the polling shows her, you know, not really competitive here, but it would be very strange for the Senate race to come down to one or two points in the governor's race to be a 15 or 18 point blowout. Like you wouldn't normally see that big a difference. So the question I have, the thing that I'm kind of wondering about today is 
which polls are more accurate, the Republican Senate polls or the governor the governor race polls? Um, so I think that race may be closer than it looks in in the polls. And uh, but it's it's still pretty tough to beat an incumbent governor who you know did pretty well with Democratic voters with his COVID response and things like that. You know, so and who's not associated with Trump uh, in the way that some other candidates are. So he doesn't carry that uh, negative with suburban voters and so on. Certainly reasons for voters to get out to the polls, uh, either early voting or November 8th. Dr. Sam Nelson, University of Toledo, thank you so much. I think we'll probably check back with you after the election to get your thoughts on how things turned out. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, sounds good. When we come back here on Leading Edge, it's a project that could have you uh, maybe waiting a little bit as you're driving an I-475. That's coming up. Welcome back to Leading Edge. If you drive on I-475, you've probably noticed those orange construction barrels. There's a good reason for it, and we want to let you in on what is going on. So joining us right now on Leading Edge is the District Deputy Director of ODOT, Pat McCauley, for being here. Thank you, Pat. We know this is such a huge project. 475 seems busier than ever. How is this project going? We know you've already gotten it started. Well, and, and just to start off, thank you very much, Tim, for having me on, and, and thank you for WTOL and Leading Edge for uh, having this program. Uh, but uh, getting to your question, yeah, this project's actually been over 20 years in the making. So it started in the 90s, late 90s, and now it went through the two th early 2000s. And what, uh, what came out of those studies in the early 2000s, it basically said that widening on 475 needed to happen to put a new interchange in and some improvements to the uh, Salisbury Dussel also need to happen. So that didn't happen for a very, you know, for a long time. So it kind of couples these projects together or the widening has to go first and then the, the interchange. In this case, we coupled them together. Um, so that's why it's taken so long to get to this project, but there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of fanfare, a lot of local partners on this and other chambers. So the Lucas County Chamber of Commerce has been a big advocate of this project for 20 plus years. Uh, but yeah, it, it's taken a long time and we're just getting started. Um, there's some traffic shifts that will be happening soon, but there's definitely some short-term term, uh, pain for some long-term gain, just like many of these other interstate projects we've been working on. And Pat, let's talk about these, these two parts to this project. First of all, you have the new interchange at 20A and 475. So I think of 20A as you know St. Luke's Hospital, McLaren St. Luke's behind the road that goes behind it. You have Dussel Drive exit. You have the US 24 exit. My big question here is why do we need another interchange in between there? Yeah, and that's a good question, Tim. So this interchange, again, it has been talked about for a long time because of some of those issues when you got 24, you have uh, you also have Dussel and Salisbury. And when you look at Dussel and Salisbury, just the way they part of the reason is the way they go into Maumee. Like there's not a great way to get to 20A. So th there's a lot of congestion on those interchanges and those roads. Um, but you also got a, a thriving industrial park that's now developed on the west side of 475. And then uh, some other developments and you got Spartan Chemical and some other some other companies on the east side of 475 right on 20A. So that that's really why that 20A interchange is, is necessary and warranted uh, because of all the congestion and traffic and and um, you know development that's been going on out there. Uh, it also serves as direct access to the to the airport on the south side of the airport, where they have a industrial uh, park as well. So this could relieve some of that backup because I know a lot of times when I get on 475, even before the construction started, I'm thinking, where's all this traffic coming from? Maybe this will 
you know, make it more efficient, move vehicles around a little better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it provides another access point. Um, it provides another access point to those areas that, again, don't have, when you really look at how those roads go into Maumee and out, that it's not the greatest uh, in some of those places. And uh, yeah, it definitely will help with those congestion on both Dussel and uh, 24 going into Maumee. But it also, you know, supports the, the development that has occurred and will occur in the future. And Pat McCauley from ODOT is joining us here on Leading Edge to talk about this I-475 project. This new interchange at 20A is going to be familiar to those who drive in the Levis Commons area. It's going to be, what, our second diverging diamond? Talk about that. Yeah, you're correct there, Tim. So it's going to be our second diverging diamond interchange, or we call it a DDI, which is where we flip traffic. You know, I think you, you everybody learned through driver's edge, you drive on the right-hand side of the road. Right. <laughs> but we flip traffic to the left-hand side of the road. So... Um, they are actually a much more efficient interchange than a typical interchange, and there's less crashes at these interchanges as well. Um, even though that might sound counterintuitive, that, that's the data. Uh, but having said that, it's a little, the one thing it's a little different on is we're actually building two new bridges. We're 25, we built it on the existing bridge and just realigned some things. But yeah, very, very similar. Our second diverging diamond interchange, we won't have to re-educate too many drivers. Yeah. Um, and, and it's actually our second of four. So we're looking for, we're looking at two more in the future. Yeah, we know the first time that one was built over by Levis Commons, it took people a little while to get used to it. So this time around, I think they'll be good to go. But you're also widening. That's kind of the second part of this project. You're widening between, uh, was it Airport Highway and US 24? That in itself, logically, would relieve some of that traffic backup, right? Uh, yeah, and I, actually, if you drive that section now, um, it's, uh, it, you know, there's two lanes there, but there's three lanes to the north. Mm-hmm. And when that three lanes hits that two lanes, it, it causes some issues. So this is actually all part of an eight part, eight phase long term strategy. And we're working on phase five, six and seven. Phase eight was the Doris Street interchange. So we kind of jumped ahead there. But this is the final three parts of an eight phase, you know, from 24 all the way up to the 23 split that we've been working on for the last you know, 10 years or so, a little less than 10 years. Um, but it definitely will help relieve some of those issues. There's about there's about 85,000 vehicles a day wow. uh, driving on 475. And it's it gets up there actually with 75 going through the city as well. So it's there's a lot of vehicles going through that uh, corridor. And Pat, you've already started work there. We know uh, on paper this should be done, but maybe the end of 2024, you talked about that short-term pain. We know it's already congested there. What's your advice for drivers going through that I-475, 20A area? Well, I, I beg them to, to stick with us. You know, it's going to, just like the other section of 475 and our I-75 sections, it's going to be much much better once it's done. Uh, the, biggest, uh, the biggest thing coming up, I guess I should say, is that before Thanksgiving, work will we're going to have a traffic shift. So we're going to move both lanes of traffic on the southbound uh, lane. So we're going to have all lanes of traffic. It'll be bi-directional on the southbound lane. So that's going to be the big traffic shift coming up. Um, And that'll last through most of 2023. And that'll also be working on the McClover Road Bridge as well during that time. All right. So bring your patience. It's going to eventually lead to progress here. Pat McCauley from ODOT, we do thank you so much for joining us here on Leading Edge. Important project there on I-475. Thanks again, as usual. Thank you very much, Tim. Pleasure to be with you. All right. We'll check back with you as that moves along. Coming up on Leading Edge, how people on the east side 
have been pretty busy lately. And welcome back to Leading Edge. One of the best parts of the richest parts of the city of Toledo is the east side. And the East Toledo Family Center is the heart of that. They do so much for the residents. And joining us right now is Jody Gross, the executive director of the East Toledo Family Center. Jody, you had a great event just this past weekend, the Nickel Dash 5K Run and Walk. It really went well, didn't it? It did. It did really go well. We had um, 80 participants up from last year of 50. So that's a great number for us since it's our second one. But it was a wonderful, beautiful day outside. The walkers and runners enjoyed the cooler weather. Um, it was sunny the entire time, um, but it was a really good event and it benefited um, some of our programs. Um, so we were really happy with the outcome. And it was the second year that you've done this. And one of the things you wanted to do besides bringing a 5K to East Toledo is to get people together, see them having fun, but also you're raising money to help people all at the same time. Absolutely. And that was the great thing. The runners and walkers that came out, they, they're supporting the event, supports our programming for the rest of this year. And that includes some of our special activities, our trunk or treat, our Christmas program, um, and also anything that might come up for the rest of this. Um, you know, we're going into the holiday season, so we're gearing up for that. But it's really nice that people are generous um, to support us, um, especially through a 5K. And it's the only one of its kind in East Toledo. There are others on the east side of the river, but this one is specific to helping the families in the East Toledo community. So I'm really proud about that. And we talked about this before, coming through the pandemic's been tough for so many people. What are some of the challenges uh, folks out on the east side have dealt with and, and how can your programs maybe meet those needs? Well, I think just like every other community, um, you know, um, people are, you know, working through um, housing issues, they're working through utility issues, they're working through, um, you know, finding a new job, you know, we've all, we all had to work through the pandemic, but there are some folks that unfortunately couldn't work through the pandemic, and they're finding that they need, they need to get caught up, and our programs, all of our programs um, can help them benefit and walk them through, you know, some of the issues that they might have. We get a lot of calls for utility um, assistance, which we would connect them with another agency, but at least we can get that process started. And um, we're kind of the gatekeeper of the community that if there is an issue going on with one of our families, they start with us and then we connect them to the appropriate programs. But we can at least have, con have that conversation. Well, it's really great about post-COVID is that we're now back in person, um, taking all precautions still, but we are back in person. And that's the best thing is being able to work with folks in person, hand in hand, so that we can walk them through what they need. And the fact that you had an increase in uh, participants in the Nickel Dash last weekend just shows that word is getting out about the East Toledo Family Center. How great is that to know that more people realize you're there and they're not afraid to reach out to ask for help? I think that's the best thing. And I think, you know, our doors um, are open to the community at all times. And I think that that's the best thing, bringing awareness to what the Family Center does. There are people that out there, you know, there's we have hundreds of organizations and individuals who support us each year. But it, as it grows, especially with the 5K, because this is a family-friendly event, and we want folks to know that we are available and that we're, we're right here with you. And I think that that's the best thing about the Family Center. We're in the community um, that we serve, and like most organizations, but um, we really live by the adage that we're here with you and we're going to help you work through what you need. And just being through the, uh, the Family Center with you, 
you can see how kids play a big role. Tell us uh, for those families who want a, a place for their kids to learn and grow and feel safe, what can you do for children? Yeah, absolutely. We have several programs. Most of our pro programs are focused on the um, child or the youth. Um, we have preschool and Head Start, which is the three, four, and five-year-olds. We also help, have Help Me Grow in home visiting programs that focus on the zero to three. Um, and then we are now focusing on through our youth enrichment and athletics, that age group from four to 17, um, because we offer athletics, um, enrichment programming, meaning that we do art classes. We also do Elevate, which is a um, pre, it's preteen to that high school, the 17 year old that we really want to pro uh, provide a platform for them to learn um, leadership skills and to get involved in their community. So Elevate is a huge part of what we do. We're also doing the run, um, Girls on the Run program. So we're really focusing on all of the age groups of the youth so that we can get them involved earlier and then just keep them going throughout their, you know, um, elementary and high school years and then teaching them the skills they need to be successful. So we're really proud about that. Um, we also do um, Pathways, which is another program that focuses on babies, but also the maternal mom who's pregnant might need some services that she didn't know about. So we really focus on all of that, but also seniors. But the youth component is really critical because we know that kids need to be engaging earlier um, and longer um, with a positive atmosphere. And that's really what we provide. All right, Jody Grossen, if anyone needs to get a hold of the Family Center, East Toledo Family Center, give them a call. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the good work. We're always great. It's always great to hear the work that you guys do. Thank great, you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right. And we'll be right, right. back here on Leading Edge. My thanks to all of our guests here on Leading Edge. We couldn't do it without them. And thank you for watching. Have a great weekend. I'm Tim Miller.